Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We'll hear from James Franklin's press conference from yesterday in a few moments. Then final half hour, Neil Kulong on the Steelers. Our play-by-play call of the day, last night's salute in San Antonio to the great Tony Parker, led by Greg Popovich. I know you want to hear from the players, so I'm going to be very, very brief. Tony, I... I want to apologize for all the physical and mental abuse I gave you the whole time you were here. The story that he then tells Tim is Duncan. that I didn't speak for him for his first year of his career here. I won't confirm nor deny that. Uh, he was the hardest coached individual of anybody I've seen in this entire program. And Pop apologized for that. <laughs> Rightfully so, he did. A lot of wins, many losses, um, hundreds of long dinners, conversations in the back of the bus, uh, and I don't think we even have one argument. Man, not even one. I was trying to remember if we had one. Not one, man. It feels and then great Tony to Parker. be home. San Antonio is always going to be home for me. It's very important that you know that. Tony Parker, his retirement last night, a celebration in San Antonio. All right, James Franklin had a chance to talk with the media yesterday, starting with this question from Mark Brennan. Uh, you have a lot of very young players in leadership roles, and you know it's easy to be a leader when you win, but when you drop a game, uh, it's much more difficult. I wonder how you think they reacted, whether it was in dealing with us, which could be very difficult, or from what the limited amount that you saw Sunday. You know, I think Saturday night, again, it's hard to say that because it was just raw emotion in the locker room. Um, Sunday, you know, um, sometimes I think they're more resilient than we are. Um, You know, they seemed pretty good on Sunday, and I went around and had some individual conversations with guys, and I think, think, you know, we're handling it um, as well as you can under the circumstances. And, um, again, I think today will be a, a really good idea, uh, give, give us a really good idea um, of where we're at. I think we're in a good place, you know, but, again, I'll, I'll know better after today's practice. Um, but I think what I saw in the locker room Saturday night is guys taking ownership, which was, which was great. Um, everybody, you know, taking ownership of things that they could do better. Um, so I think that's a good place to start from because the worst thing you can have is in a locker room uh, of, of people blaming others. Um, and I think you know when you're young, that's probably the natural thing to do from a defense mechanism standpoint. But I, I didn't see a whole lot of that. Our guys, our guys were good. So um, again, I, I don't mean to keep saying this to you guys, but it's just hard to kind of give you some of these answers based on a Sunday of what our Sunday schedule is like, which we don't even see them until Sunday evening. It's for a short period of time. 
and then Monday we don't see him at all. So I don't mean to keep giving you guys that the answer, but that's that's the truth. How you doing, James? Good. How are you? Good. Um, so obviously, after the first loss last year, you guys followed it up with another loss at home. Um, so I guess what can you guys do as coaches to avoid a, I guess you know, another loss, you know, and you know, keep confidence up and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, and again, I'm going to answer your question, but it's kind of pretty much the storyline that everybody's been asking me. I've kind of answered that question about 12 different ways. Uh, you're probably the most direct um, with it, um, but it, it's a, it's about moving on. You know, it's about okay. Here are the issues. Here are the things that that we got to get corrected. Hey, James. How you doing today? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, Michael Penix had been uh, very accurate in the short area of the field when he was the starting quarterback. Since going down with injury, Peyton Ramsey has come in. Does he still have that same element in their offense? And how does it change between the two quarterbacks when you remove that sort of? passing element from their offense yeah i think if i read this correctly i actually think ramsey is the uh, nation's leader in um completion percentage career completion percentage over 400 passes i think if i'm correct so when you watch him uh he's he's playing well and really has played well i do think the Penix kid was taking it to a whole nother level um i think he's got a chance to be special um but we've been very impressed with Ramsey, you know. Um, we, we've been very impressed with him. So he's doing a nice job. He can, he's got good mobility. Um, you know, he's, he's making big-time throws. Um, it's kind of an unusual circumstance because what you see going on in college football right now is when something like that happens, a guy loses a starting job, they're gone. So obviously Coach Allen's done a really good job of, of you know, keeping him there. I don't know the backstory and all those types of things, but the fact that they have a really, really exciting young quarterback who had been a starter and then uh, a veteran stayed around and now is, is getting his opportunity again. And he'd been playing throughout the year too. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a pretty good situation to be in in today's college football. Hey, Indiana's receivers, I think four, four of their top five receivers are all over six, too. Uh, you faced some big wide receivers last weekend. Um, you know, how does Indiana's wide receivers compare to Minnesota, and what can you guys take from you know, having faced those sizable receivers last week? Yeah, I think the, the, the guy that really jumps out to, to us, and don't get me wrong, they got a number of guys, but the guy that really jumps out to us is the guy that I've already mentioned a couple times. Uh, he's got a, you know, WAP, got an interesting name. Uh, from Tampa, Florida, um, but he's 5'11", 178 pounds. So I think he falls more into the category of like Jahan Dotson and, and KJ. Uh, although the other guys, to your point, have, have, have been successful as well. Um, but you know, I think they're probably similar to what you know uh, they see you know from our guys in practice every single day. So the, obviously, the experience against uh, you know Minnesota's wide receivers, who we had a lot of respect for going into the game, thought it was the best wide receiver group that we had seen up to that point uh, this year. Um, that experience and going against our guys in practice, uh, obviously, um, you know, I think will give us a, a chance to be successful Saturday. James. Uh you guys seemed like you had success uh, with the tailback running the ball, and uh, I know you're behind, but the run-pass balance, were you satisfied? It was like 44 to 29. Um, do you think you got away from the run a little bit? Or, and also I was curious about just all the special teams penalties, if what can be done there, or if you think that's yeah, The special teams penalty is an issue. 
I, I, that that is an issue. Um, the run pass balance, you know, I, again, I, I don't know if you're basing that off of the statistics or if you're basing that off just of your feel of watching the game because we had some big runs early on. And then after that, we were kind of grinding out. I actually think we had our most success in the second half when we were throwing the ball and throwing the ball quickly with tempo. Um, so uh, I didn't necessarily uh, feel that way to your, to your point. Um, but we just, you know, we, we got to be more consistent. We got to be more efficient in, in everything we do. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't necessarily feel that way. I thought we started out and we made some big runs early on. You know, they, they had a guy there to make the tackle. You know, in the hole, we we made a miss or broke the tackle and 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 took it the distance. And as the game went on, they didn't miss as many of those tackles. So um, I didn't necessarily see it or feel it that way. James, with the running backs, when you look at Journey and the success that he had, uh, what do you remember about his recruitment? Kind of beyond the the track background that obviously impressed you guys. Yeah, you know, obviously he had. The track times that that really jump out at you. Um, he had unbelievable production uh, in terms of uh, you know I think you guys all know the story of the 700 yards and 10 touchdowns or whatever it was in one game. Um, so you know the, he had the ability, um, um, but I think sometimes when you're just so dominant like that at the level of football he was playing in. You know, what would it translate? Because a lot of times he was just getting the ball and just going down the sideline without breaking tackles, without making people miss. Um, um, but at the end of the day, you know, we had an in-state kid who was a really good kid um, that wanted to be here and had great times and had, a, had a, you know, great measurements um, and had unbelievable production and, you know, He's come here and he's he's been really good. I'm very proud of him. Very proud of him. Um, and he just keeps getting better, you know. And I think you're going to see that continue with him as he gains confidence in games and as he adds kind of a few more tools to his tool belt uh, compared to high school where he could just you know run past everybody. And I think uh, I think our coaching staff and specifically Coach Sider's uh, done a good job with that. So I just think you're going to see you know those backs, all of them, because even Journey, although he's the he's the older vet of the group, he's still fairly young from an experience standpoint, from a playing standpoint. So I just think you're going to see all those guys just continue to get better. You know, Ricky and Journey and Devin and, and Noah and all of them. James, how has uh, maybe as the season progressed, what um, what has changed, if anything, regarding the the running back philosophy? You know, for you know, example, uh, we saw a lot more of one running back this this past game, and the last two games we saw you know your starting running back you know get um, you know carries on on the first two drives. So, so what if anything has changed there? Nothing really has changed. Uh, we've had some injuries that have have changed it. Is probably the only thing. Um, but we've said in the past that if a guy was hot, we would we would stay with them and that's happened um so we've we've left guys in there but really the only difference um has been we've had we've had some guys get banged up that you know we could have played uh, noah could have played but it didn't make sense to play a 90 percent noah when we had three other guys at 100 percent you expressed uh, quite a bit of confidence in pj mustafer's ability to step up last week uh, do you feel like he did that and um 
beyond that, what does it mean to get Antonio Shelton back into the fold this weekend? Yeah, I think I think PJ, you know, did some good things and took a step. Obviously, we we missed Antonio, and we're we're going to be happy to have him back. I actually think we missed Antonio's leadership on the sideline as much as we missed his you know his presence on the field. Uh, he's a smart guy. He's a vocal guy. He's a loud guy, um, and and is not afraid to to speak his mind on the sideline. Um, like you guys have seen in the press conferences as well, um, he does a really good job, and we miss that. You know, we really did. So having him back will be will be good. Time for two more. Start with you, Frank. James, you've talked about how uh, proud you are of where Sean Clifford is at this point in his career already, as far as being a quarterback. How much do you put on his plate? Just maybe in perspective to other schools and what other quarterbacks at the college football level are asked to do how much is on his plate versus other places you might have been or other places you might have seen yeah i think a decent amount you know the interesting thing is i think sometimes in the spread offense the perception out there is there's less uh, sophisticated reads you know you always heard the knock on the spread guys in the nfl and it's amazing if you look Oh, the NFL is almost dominated by spread quarterbacks now. Um, but what's interesting is I would actually say it's more taxing because on every single play they're involved, where in the pro-style offense there's plays where you're just going to turn around and hand the ball off and maybe follow out a fake. That's about it. But typically in these spread RPO offenses, you are reading on every single play. You know, whether you're reading a defensive end or outside linebacker, or whether to give or whether to pull, um, I actually think it's it's more challenging, you know, at the, at the quarterback position. Uh, obviously, it depends on how you build it and, and how you do it. There, there are some people that probably are a little bit less sophisticated than others. But, um, you know, being a guy who's part of a West Coast offense, uh, that's what you know. We ran when I was at Maryland. That's what we ran when I was at Vanderbilt. That's what we ran when we first got here. More of a pro-style uh, West Coast offense um, that obviously you know became very popular with Bill Walsh and the details and the complexity of it. Um, I, I think Sean's doing a really good job, and I think he's got a, a good amount on his plate. And I think again, I think you know when you look at the entire season overall pretty darn good you know we had a quarterback before him it was pretty good and you could compare the two and I think Sean's numbers and and production would be favorable James when you have a big game like that and some young receivers drop balls how do you address that is there a balance between pointing out the mistakes that they obviously knew that they made and you know tough love or you know kill them with kindness how do you go about approaching that yeah, I think it's I think it's a fine line. I don't think there's there's any doubt about it. It it you know you can't avoid it and ignore it like it didn't happen, but it's got to be addressed. Um, but you know, obviously during the game, you know I don't I don't think you saw me or anybody you know overreact to those guys. It's just not how we go about our business. I don't I don't understand how that helps you. Um, now in practice, we we can be hard on guys. Um, you know, in meetings. I wouldn't say we're hard, but we're direct, and we have tough conversations to kind of work through it. I, I think I think when you when you remember that most people and most young people are harder on themselves than you'll ever be, that I think that changes how you approach things. Um, so, at the end of the day, 
we got to build their confidence up and we got to build their fundamentals and skills up so they make those plays rather than spending so much time on on uh, what they didn't do. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about because at the end of the game I got I got some questions um some questions about going for two. And I kind of want to talk about it about that specific situation. But I also kind of want to talk big picture of of what I struggle with and maybe maybe next summer at the barbecue you guys can you guys can fill me in on your perspective because it's probably not the setting for this right now. But so going for two in that situation, you know, we looked at the classic two-point chart, which said go for it. Uh, we used our analytics stuff, which said go for it. Um, we decided to go for it partly because we're on the road, um, not playing as well as as we we thought we should be at the time. And if we picked up the two-point conversion, it increased our chances and put us in a better situation. If we didn't pick it up, we still were going to have to overcome those points at some point. At the end of the day, here, here's the thing I struggle with. Um, a lot of these decisions are not clear-cut. There's some that are, but there's a lot that are not clear-cut. It's a gut feel. And what I struggle with is when those decisions, and again, I already told you, the two-point charge said go for it. The analytics stuff said go for it. But then opinions are stated as facts. And, And I struggle with that. I struggle with things that go on when it comes to discipline and people know very little of the story but have really strong opinions on how things are supposed to play out. I'll give you another example. The end of the game, end of the game, we're trying to decide, do we go onside's kick? Everybody know what I'm talking about. End of the game. Do you go onside's kick there? Or do you kick it deep, hold them, and burn your timeouts? Right? We decided to kick it deep. We decided to do a squib kick. You guys probably saw me bring them over there because I was hoping with a squib kick, we have a chance of maybe pinning them inside the 25 because every yard mattered at that point. And you never know. With one guy deep having to cover the whole field, you kick it on an angle, you may go down and recover it. He may bobble it, which he did bobble it. We stopped them, went three and out. I burned the timeouts. That was the right decision. Why? Why, why was that the right decision? Because it worked. Because we stopped them. They went three and out. And I burned the timeouts. If they would have picked up two first downs and ended the game, I would have been getting my butt ripped in the press conference for why didn't you go onside's kick? You're, you're missing my point. My, my point is, is sometimes the decisions are clear cut. And I get it. And I make mistakes. A lot of people make mistakes. But when, when things are gray... When things are gray and things are stated as facts, I struggle with that. When, when I see people criticizing decisions on discipline, and I'm not just talking about my program, and you, and you don't have all the facts. That I, I just struggle with things being stated as facts when they're not. They're opinions. 
And a lot of times it's based on how it plays out. If I went for two early in the game and we picked up the two, it's a great decision. We threw a screen. We had three guys. They had two. If we run inside and score, we get two. It's a great situation. So I'm not saying I'm always right. But it's easy after the fact to say that that was a bad decision when, when, we, don't, when we don't execute. Now, at the end of the day, I'll be the first one to admit, I'm ultimately responsible for making sure that we execute the decision. So I, so I, I, I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. I, I'm still responsible for all of it, and I'll take it. But I will tell you, that's where my frustration comes from sometimes. Um, and doing this for 24 years, that's, that's the hard part. James Franklin's press conference from yesterday. Coming up, Neil Kulong on the Steelers as they get ready for their Thursday showdown with the Cleveland Browns. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back. Final half hour of the show. Great to have you with us here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Our high school football roundtable tomorrow. Looking at the state of the game and the state of participation in District 4. And then our Voices of Penn State Roundtable coming up on Friday. Justin Antwil from Lady Lion Basketball, Jeff Byers from Penn State Wrestling, and Brian Tripp from Penn State Ice Hockey. All right, there's been a swirl of snow around. It's been cold. It feels like a Cleveland Browns-Pittsburgh Steelers week. And with that, we bring in Neil Kulong from USA Today. Hello, Neil. Complete with the snow right now too. It's uh, whatever it is you guys are getting, or what we had this morning, and now there's more of it coming. I feel like I'm back in Minnesota. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's snowing and high school oh, football now, isn't over yet. Oh, about right. I'll give you your North Dakota State moment. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, you know what? They they, uh, they they set an FCS record with 688 yards of offense against Western Illinois last week, which I I don't know. Maybe nobody else finds that hysterically funny, but. 688 yards is a video game-like number. I mean, it's hard to not try to put up that much, but they had the red shirts in the entire second half, so that's where they are. They're going to struggle to win games this year. Yeah. 
So <laughs> a team that probably should be struggling to win games this year based on everything that's happened in the last year has won four games in a row. So, Neil Kulong, football expert extraordinaire, why? Um, two things that summarize it, I think, the best. One, the defense. Two, I don't know. <laughs> That's honest. I don't think I don't think anybody reasonably could have seen the defense that they were going to trot out this year. And a huge part of that reason is for 52 years, they haven't traded a first-round draft pick and weren't going to draft in the first round. Right. You acquire the, the perfect fit for a defense, and they knew that he'd be the perfect fit, and he knew that he, they knew that he was the missing link. Adding Minka Fitzpatrick is, in, in my opinion, probably the, the best move that Kevin Colbert has made in a, a very solid career, and it's one that, that's propelled the team from maybe five wins into eight or nine, and that, that's, a, that's a pretty substantial gain uh, for a free safety who came in with, what, 18 career games under his belt. Uh, the season that he's having and the, the impact that he's making on a defense that has to win the game almost on their own <laughs> at this point, yeah. um, it, it's, it's remarkable. He's done a great job. You, you've got to tip your cap a little bit to Keith Butler, and I, I am aware that two months ago saying that would have gotten me probably beat up and drug around the streets and on the south side. But it, they've, they've done a great job utilizing all of the talent that they have there. And they're doing it without the guy who was playing better than everybody else, Stephon Tewitt. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's that unit really step into the, the, the limelight. And they're doing it with no offensive help at all. The offense is a disaster. I mean, it, it gets worse and worse. Uh, Chuck's a core for I, I, it, it, He doesn't belong at right tackle. I understand uh, Mike Tomlin's thought in trying to put their best pass protection unit uh, out on the field and, mm-hmm. and move right tackle Matt Filer to left guard to replace Ramon Foster, but that, that's a huge slap in the face to Clay Matthews, and Clay Matthews made sure that they were aware that he abused that kid the, the, for pretty much the entire game, uh, all of the second half, including the safety. If, if Donald didn't get in where he did, Matthews was right on Rudolph as well. Um, it, when James Conner isn't on that field, that offense is, is below mediocre, and the fact that Rudolph is not turning the ball over at this point is pretty much the only value that he's bringing. For them to be able to win four games in a row uh, with below-line play at the quarterback position, with a a slew of undrafted practice squad running backs, it's it's remarkable. You know, it's been a lot of fun to watch. I've said this every week. I mean, I I kind of almost expect the wheels to fall off here at some point, but... Um, they've done a great job. You know, they're not going to be a team that people want to play. The defense playing the way that it is uh, and getting better, it seems, week in and week out, they're going to be tough to play overall. So it, it's it's tough to see where all of this is coming from, but they're really building something special here. Okay. Uh, it's a combination of things, uh, obviously. Uh, they traded up to get Devin Bush. They obviously made a heck of a draft pick in T.J. Watt. When Joe Hayden was available, they got him. It seems like they've been piecing this together, and there's been a purpose as to how they've done it. Yeah, I, I think a large part of it has to do with the idea that um, for many years they haven't been in a great first-round draft position. Um, they haven't moved up since DeCastro back in 2012. That's right. Whether they tried or not, I don't know. We'll, we'll you know we'll hear rumors about that until till sure. the end of the game. But sure. um, 
they haven't acquired all the pieces that they want. And along with that, I think they've, they've really struggled uh, to figure out how to change the car tire while the vehicle is still moving. You know, there, there are a lot of things that they've had to do to replace on the fly. Um, their defense typically doesn't work at the beginning of the season, so usually they have to make some changes. And in doing this, too, every year they're counting on a rookie uh, to play pretty much every snap. They've been doing that every year since yeah. since Shay's year, pretty much. That's right. Um, so you you put all that together. I think they've always had a hole somewhere, but uh, the I I think really those are two unique moves that do not fit in with the modus operandi of the Steelers, the, the Hayden uh, signing and the, the Fitzpatrick trade. But at the same time, these are two very special players, and the Steelers identified the value of both of those players. Uh, and went after them as aggressively as they could. Hayden was on a plane to Pittsburgh six hours after he got cut. You know, they, they wasted no time to, to bring him in, and he was absolutely needed at that point. They were an even worse secondary than they were going into this year. Um, you go out and sign Stephen Nelson to kind of what seems to be that sort of peak-level um, value-wise contract that they're willing to give a street-free agent. They don't sign guys like that in March uh, for the kind of money that they signed uh, Stephen Nelson to. And Nelson's been, you know, next to Fitzpatrick, their best defensive back. Um, they've, they've hit big with a few of these signings lately. And, yes, I understand there are a few out there that don't, you know, look all that great right now. And Mark Barron actually played, I thought, pretty well on Sunday. So that there's a step in the right direction. They're not going <laughs> to hit on every single one. Every every formation, every package that they want to implement isn't necessarily going to work all the time. But I, I think they've found a great mix with what they're doing right now. They're versatile. They're in, incredibly fast. They're very athletic. Um, it just seems game after game there's a different guy that, that's stepping up and making plays. Really at, at the base of it, in my mind, is the, the otherworldly progression of T.J. Watt. Uh, he, he's done a phenomenal job. Um, it, it seems to be getting better. Uh, he, he strengthens as the game goes on, which I think is a trait of the best edge defenders. Watt was the guy that was in the backfield, um, I think, on you know four of Goff's last five passes in the win against the Rams. Uh, he's a high-level talent, and they've got talent all over that defense now. And it's been a lot of fun to watch, and you're exactly right. It's been a process putting all of it together, sometimes right. a frustrating one. But it all seems to be coming together now, and this is the time at any point over the last five years that they absolutely needed the defense to, to stand on its head in order to carry a, a, a very struggling offense, kicking and screaming forward to victories. They're, they're able to do that now. Um, gives them a channel. Either, I'm certainly not predicting they're going to. Uh, they won't, but it, they have a chance in every game they play the rest of the way because of how good their defense is. If they stay healthy, it's not going to be an easy team to beat. It really isn't. And you know the schedule isn't all that strong. Um, in my opinion, they beat Baltimore the last time they played them. You know, Baltimore got right. the win, but Pittsburgh won the game. Right, yeah. So you, you play that again, even in Baltimore, they're not going to flinch. They're not worried about that. Uh, they they can play defensive football, and that that you know that carries you a little bit uh, come November, come December. Probably, and I don't usually do this, but after watching the body of work the last few weeks, I at least want to start the conversation about Mason Rudolph and. It may be too early to ask this, but beyond Roethlisberger, what should the Steelers' strategy be moving forward at the quarterback spot? Because obviously at some point Roethlisberger just flat out won't be there. It's an excellent question. It's one I I had a conversation with a buddy of mine about this the other day. Um, The Steelers, 
operate strictly in across that bridge when we get to it sense. Which I understand. Um, I and I understand. Yeah. I understand that because you ha you have to look at an like for example in an available draft for example, where do I pick? Who do I, I mean there's a lot of variables that come in so I do understand that. But you have to think yeah, about but, it. Though. You have to think about it because he's not showing me he's a long-term answer. Yeah, and that's that's exactly yeah. I, I would ask then where the bridge is. <laughs> Are we not at the bridge? <laughs> it's I over mean, the river. Let's, let's keep in mind, um, <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger is 38 years old. He just had major elbow surgery. Uh, if you're counting on him coming out and throwing for 5,000 yards next year, all right, your your bridge is in a different spot than mine. Um, either way, is it Rudolph? Yes, he, he's stacking up a few wins now, and it's good. He seems right. to be progressing a little bit. Yeah. Um, He's not turning the ball over. I, I can't say that enough, and I'm not sure if I could say anything else positive, but he's not doing that. Uh, do you want him for the next five years to, to start 16 games? I don't think any team really wants that. Um, I, I don't think the Steelers should either, but I don't know how you find a solution any differently than what you did to bring Rudolph in to begin with. He was a guy that I've heard, and everybody will trump this up all the time after the fact. It's very easy to lie retrospectively about where you graded a guy in the draft, but they say they had a first-round grade on him. I could see that. I, you know, a lot of people that, that I take with a, a, a large degree of credibility when it comes to evaluating players, quarterbacks in particular, said Rudolph probably would have been a first-round pick had it not been for the fact that he was in the, you know, perhaps the deepest quarterback class we've seen this decade. Um, a lot of really good prospects in that, and after you know five of them are taken with the first 32 picks, it only makes sense that nobody in the second round is going to take one either because every team that wanted one at the starter level uh, took one. So for Rudolph to be there in the third, combined with the Steelers getting an additional third-round pick that year, you can see why they just you know really kind of made it out to be like the value is just too high you know we need to take him it wasn't an indictment on Roethlisberger's future or anything like that it was just more you know we need to take him he's clearly the best player who's who's here somebody that we scouted somebody that we were interested in but not enough to take in the first round or the second round we, we should take him um, I don't think it was an indication that Rudolph is going to be their future because the, the timing um, of his contract with how Ben's career now seems to be shaping out um, it, the, when they drafted him was probably the worst time they could have, just simply because his contract will be up right when Roethlisberger would retire. So um, you're not saving anything by keeping him on the bench forever. And now, like you said, what we're seeing, uh, I don't think we really want a whole lot of that, do we? I mean, I don't know if this is a long-term answer, but it doesn't seem like it is right now. Um, you hope to see more from him, and the Steelers are going to focus solely on trying to make him better, put him in positions to be able to win games, but he's got a long way to go in a lot of areas. I mean, the game just seems to be moving way too fast for him. He doesn't process things quickly. Um, that This is no different than we talked last week about the safety he took. Um, it, it, you know, standing in the pocket, statue-like, and when I say that, I mean literally. He doesn't move his feet. He just stands there. Um, it, it was no different, except they gave him some play action um, it, against the Rams in order to you know, give him some movement. But plays like that, it, it's play action, set, deliver the pass. He it, he delivered the play action. It looked like he was you know expecting a forty yard route to be run from the end zone, and he got creamed. So it's like, like there's no way that there's not a short route available there that you're supposed to be throwing to. They're not going to run into Aaron Donald yet again like they had done the entire second half. You need to get rid of the ball, and there there comes a point where 
it's obvious that it's a processing issue. He's not seeing routes develop. He's not seeing receivers while feeling the pocket, feeling the rush around him. You know, and keep in mind, this is the hardest job in all of sports. I'm not saying that he should be proficient at all of these things. I'm just saying that he's not right now, and that that's going to be a problem in terms of uh, you know trotting him out there to be your starting quarterback for however long he needs to be. And they're in a rough situation this year. He wasn't supposed to see the field. I right. get it, but now you know what you know, and you can't unlearn it. So I I don't know. I I really don't know what their their situation is going to be, but. I don't think that they would draft one this year. They're they're way low on right. draft capital. I don't think they can draft another oh, project quarterback. Right. So they're they're gonna have to wait. And you know, for all we know, Steelers' next franchise quarterback is is a sophomore in high school. You know, we we don't know who that's gonna be or when, but they don't have a whole lot to go up and get one now. Right. Uh, and just ask one last question, then I'll let you go. But you know, I give the Steeler coaching staff credit. They're playing to what their team is right now. They need, you know, I think they're calling the game offensively in such a way where they're trying to keep mistakes to a minimum because they have enough defense to win. And I think based on what they have, I think they're being smart with it. In other words, you can be, the am I going to be aggressive? Well, you can, you, can aggress, you can be aggressive to the point of four turnovers and the game's over. Uh, now, they got Ohio coming up in the next three games. Two Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati professional football Bengals. I sense golden opportunities here. I can see why you would say that. Um, <clears throat> I think I think the Browns have a real. They present a real tough matchup. They're a team. One, you're on the road in a place they have. Steelers haven't played well in Cleveland no, in a while. I know people don't like to hear that, but they have not <laughs> played well there in a while. Um, they they got creamed there. In, in 2014, um, Brian Hoyer kicked their butt all over the field, first energy stadium uh, in Cleveland. That was 2014. I think they won there in 2013. They'll win there, but you've got a tie there last year. You barely won in, in the, the Le'Veon Bell debut back in, in uh, 2016 or 17. I mean, they haven't played well in Cleveland. Um, Cleveland is a completely different team now, but you've still got the same ravenous level of fans. They always mm-hmm. had to play them in week one. Now they're getting a, a, a primetime game against them. That, that's, that's not easy for anybody to just go in and blow the doors off a team on Thursday night. I know that it happens, but it, it's not the easiest wow. thing to do. It, the, um, the short turnaround helps Cleveland. They're the home team. Yeah, exactly. When they get to be at home, and on top of that, they're unleashing a guy that a year and a half ago was the AFC Offensive Player of the Year. He would have been, the, the pace that he was on. And you're putting that with maybe one of the three best running backs in the NFL this season. You get both of them in a backfield, and they've run that formation, I think, like six times. Mm-hmm. Cleveland or, Pittsburgh has no film to go off of in, in, in defending a backfield with Kareem Hunt yeah. and uh, Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, yeah. Putting that together in the amount of time Cleveland has had you scheme that up, um, the, the practice time that they had going into the Buffalo game and now you know a little bit of time going into the Steelers game, they're going to be a- able to unveil a bunch of looks that Pittsburgh has not seen at all. That's a huge advantage when you're playing at home on a short week. Pittsburgh has none of that. They get James Conner back, which is definitely a huge advantage for them in, in comparison to whoever it is that they were running off with last week, right. they, they get some of that back. But Cleveland is still an explosive, talented offense. Um, they just haven't brought everything together yet. That win against Buffalo, that, that's, a, that's a big foundation kind of win. Yeah. 
Uh, really tough game for them to have won. The they're comfortable win. at home now. Yeah, yeah they're, they're comfortable at home now. And Pittsburgh just doesn't have an offense. Uh, Cleveland has the semblance of two sides of the ball going into this game. I, I think this is rough for the Steelers to take on uh, in such a short turn time. Because keep in mind, that's the other part. You get a, a, a scrimmage against the Bengals the next week if they have a coaching staff by then. And then you have to play Cleveland again. Yeah. Um, that's a short amount of time. Yeah. To, to play a team that I think is, is fairly parallel to where you are. Uh, Cleveland's you know, a, a player or two away from being in the same position Pittsburgh's in. This game is a lot closer, I think, than a lot of people are expecting it to be. Um, I, I think they'll both be very competitive games, but it's possible the Steelers drop two of these three games coming up, both of them to Cleveland. Okay, Neil, pleasure. Appreciate it very much, as always, my friend. Definitely. Thanks for having me. New Kulong USA today. All right, so that wraps it up for today. We have a fun one coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow's show will be from literally four blocks away from the White House. (laughs) We'll be in downtown Washington tomorrow. Penn State will take on Georgetown tomorrow evening. 6.30 will be the tip-off, and 6 o'clock will be the airtime. That's why we had the coaches show last night, because obviously can't air two things at the same time. And uh, we'll have Penn State and Georgetown basketball tomorrow night at 6.30 with a 6 o'clock airtime. Thus, tomorrow's show will be from Washington. And this will be a very interesting show because we're going to do the high school football roundtable. And in the high school football roundtable from 4 to 5 tomorrow, we're going to have Todd Hummel is going to be here from the Daily Item. Kevin Hur is going to be here, the voice of Shiklami football. Justin Michaels, 100.9 The Valley, the voice of Lewisburg football. I'm going to sit everybody down tomorrow, and we're going to talk about the state of the game in our area, the state of participation, and what can be done to improve it. Pennsylvania is one of the few states in the nation where participation is actually up in the last 10 years. There are only a handful, literally, that have been seeing participation up. Pennsylvania is up 2%. But what can we do in our area? That's tomorrow's roundtable. And the voices of Penn State roundtable, Justin Antwil, Lady Line Basketball, Jeff Byers, Penn State Wrestling, and Brian Tripp, Penn State Men's Ice Hockey. That will be Friday. Today's show has been brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors. 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us on the show today. We'll talk to you tomorrow from Washington on News Radio 1070 WKOK.